When we hear the word talent, we tend to associate it with someone who possesses a skill or aptitude to do something well. But the word talent is derived from the Greek talenton. And in ancient Greece, talent was a unit of measurement for weighing precious metals, usually gold and silver. A biblical reference in the book of Matthew told the story of a master who had to leave home on a trip and entrusted his property to three servants who were paid eight talents. Hence, it was spoken in the same context by which we discuss in modern times, what is something or somebody worth in dollars? Look to the world of cinema and television and think about all the great actors and actresses who entertain and inspire us. It's safe to assume that they, each of them, were told at a different point in their lives, you have a lot of talent. What they were really saying is when you have a lot of it, you have a shot at turning it into a profession. Ask Will Ferrell, Chris Tucker, or Chelsea, Chelsea Handler. Did they succeed solely on their talent? They're likely to say they had some help along the way. And to earn a living on the back of that talent, it took someone with a different set of skills to match that talent to the demands of a marketplace. And in Hollywood, they're called talent agents. And if you ask one of those agents, what have you been doing for the past 30 or 40 years? His likely response, I unite ideas, opportunities, and talent. And I help the world's most inspiring people make the world a more inspiring place. And that agent is with us here today. While he has been busy helping others tell their stories as they transform beyond their wildest dreams, today's guest, his name is Peter Benedict, and it is my honor to discuss his story of transformation. Peter, welcome to A Climb to the Top Stories of Transformation. Thank you very much. That was a very erudite and uh, informative introduction. I didn't know that. <laughs> I appreciate that. In fact, as, as I mentioned before the show, my dad was a professor of linguistics. I grew up in a home where words mattered. And my dad was trained in the Jesuit tradition where he learned Greek and Latin. So when I had to study for vocabulary tests where we had to cram an exam, he said, you don't have to cram an exam. If you know the origin of every word, you don't have to remember much. You just got to remember the origin. And I remember when I was prepping for you, talent. Well, that's a no brainer. It's worth. So anyway, Peter, it's great to have you here for our listeners. Let me just introduce Peter. There, there's a lot here, but I'm going to keep it as succinct as I can. Peter is a founding partner and now a board member of United Talent Agency, which was formed many years ago when he left New York for Los Angeles. He has helped steer UTA's growth over the years into a premier global talent and literary agency. His clients, as I mentioned at the onset, some of them, they are some of the most acclaimed figures in film, television, music, art, sports. And UTA is where screenplays often find buyers, groundbreaking films find financing, TV shows are launched, and new companies are born. Peter, this is a lot that you have done in your career, but it didn't start that way. Help us to understand our listeners. I know you're a New Yorker. Where are your roots? And help us navigate along the way. College was an important part. I want to hear about that as well. Sure. Um, well, my, I'm a first generation American. My parents were immigrants. Uh, my father was Hungarian. My mother was Germanic and they came, they fled the Holocaust. Um, I grew up in, 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 suburban, in suburban Long Island. 
Um, I went to the University of Michigan, which was a very um, seminal experience in my life. And it's still a, it's a place that I hold in great uh, and very high regard and where I, I spend, still spend a lot of time. I'm a very active alum. And um, I think it was extraordinarily formative for me. And I consider it the finest public university in the world. Someone can argue with me if they'd like. <laughs> we'll, we'll accept that. And then I went to, uh, I went back home, if you will, to go to law school. I, I decided that I was going to be a lawyer when I was in second grade for really dumb reasons. I didn't know any lawyers. I, um, but I decided I was going to go to law school because I thought Thomas Jefferson was a really cool guy. And uh I read a biography of his, which, uh, which was geared to second graders. And uh, so I went to Columbia and I spent three years there. And then I, I, I discovered after my freshman year at uh, Michigan, I was invited to spend the summer at someone's house in Los Angeles. And when I got to Los Angeles for the first time, I was blown away by it and decided right then and there that I was going to moved to Los Angeles as soon as I got out of law school, which in fact I did. And then I, I went to LA and I practiced law for at entertainment firms because I figured if you're in LA, you want to be in the entertainment business. If you move to Detroit, you want to be in the car business. If you're going to Seattle, you want to be in the airplane business in those days, not the tech business, didn't exist yet. Um, anyway, I wanted to be in the entertainment business. And so I became an entertainment lawyer and I did that for 13 years. And um, my father owned his own small business and he, uh, the one piece of advice he gave me that I apparently listened to was if you can own your own business. So although I was a partner and a founding partner of the law firm that I was then working at, um, when an opportunity came along to start a small, what was then a two-man agency, uh, I took it. And that was, the, that was in 1986. And that was the beginning of my career as an agent. And yet when you were practicing law, were you either representing agents or were you somehow in the circle so that you knew what they did? No, I was representing talent. I was, I was, a, I was a transactional, I was a transactional. The entertainment lawyers are either represent big corporations and do their corporate legal work, or they represent individuals and do their transactional, negotiate their contracts alongside their agents. Right. And, um, and that's what I was doing. And I had a very nice, uh, I was a very, had a very nice practice at, at a young age. I built a nice clientele. A couple of, several of them followed me when I became an agent. They fired their agents and came with me. Okay. But there was, it was a moment in time when I decided that I didn't want to be this, the sidekick. I wanted to be on, on, the, on point. And the right. people, the guy on, the man or woman on point is the agent and the lawyer is the kind of the follower. As you were transforming yourself to become, you're still the lawyer, are the skills that you used as a lawyer easily transferable into the agent? The answer to that question is yes and no. In, in those days, there were very few lawyers who became agents. Now, now there are many people in the various training programs at the big agencies all, who, who went to law school right. um, and are, have decided once they got out of law school that they would be more than happy to work in an agency training program for $500 a week instead of taking a six-figure job at a big law firm. Right. Um, but I had to, you know, law school, the thing about law school is it's a, it, it, it changed, what they're trying to do in the course of the three years is completely re rearrange your brain and, and make it so that you think of things in a very, very specific analytic way. And that was, that was beyond useful when I, was a, when I became an agent, but there were also 
things that um, that I had to push out of my out of my head. You don't have you don't have the time to sit and analyze everything to death. You have to rely on your. There's a lot a lot of times you're relying on your instinct and your gut, um, and you have to make quick decisions. It's a very and you're also people are depending on you in a, in a, in a they, people depend on their lawyers. Don't get me wrong, but they want their lawyers to be, you know, uh, very grounded and down to earth and you know, very sober judgment. And when, as an agent, you're supposed to be filled with information that you're giving them. Um, you're supposed to be extraordinarily proactive and uh, you're bringing, you're creating and bringing opportunities to your clients. Help our listeners understand when you were forming your talent agency and you were now representing the talent, as I said at the opening, you were now conceivably matching that individual's talent with the demands of a marketplace in order to get him or her paid. Is that a fair summation, at least at the onset of your relationship with the talent? It, it, it is, but you're, you know, it's... It, it, it was different in 1986 than it is now. Okay, mm -hmm. so you have to envision a world where there are only three television networks: right. ABC, CBS, and NBC. Yeah, Fox came along, and everyone thought that was wild and crazy when it happened. Right. Um, the movies, the movie, there were there was a there were movie studios that were owned by people who started movie studios. They weren't owned by telephone companies. They weren't conglomerates. They weren't. They weren't corporate. They were. They were. They were. Um, they were there to serve to serve the talent, and to have the talent serve them. The relationship between the buyers, the studios, and the sellers, the agents, and the talent, were was was completely different. And um, it was also not a very fiscally prudent business. It was. The, it was a business that wasn't being run the way many business the way businesses are run now. It was. It was people were making decisions based on again based on their gut they weren't running numbers and doing market research to see whether star wars would be successful because right. as an example when they did that with star wars they thought it was not going to be successful so um you know as william goldman said in his the very famous quote in his book nobody knows anything and that's was true then and it's true now yeah, indeed. Well, bring us into the modern world then. You are an agent for, and I mentioned Will Ferrell, Chris Tucker, Chelsea no, Chris, Handler. Chris, I, Chris Tucker is not our client, but Will Ferrell and Chelsea Handler are our clients. I am not a, uh, I represent very few actors. Mm -hmm. I have, um, my career has been writers and directors on the movie side. And then uh, about 20, 25 years ago, I, um, I, just, I was very fortunate and I got involved with three major television showrunners. I, I, I signed um, over the course of three months, Tom Fontana, who at the time was running a show called Homicide, Life on the Street. And I signed David Chase, who at that point in time was, was running uh, the last few years of Northern Exposure, but he's the man who created The Sopranos. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I signed Dick Wolf who at the time had one show on the year, which was called Law and Order, which was, which was on the verge of being canceled, actually. <laughs> who knew? <laughs> in its fourth season. And that made me um, understand that there, I had, there was a real opportunity in, uh, in drama, dramatic television. And the confluence there also was, this was the, it was the birth of Showtime and HBO. So, so cable, the, 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 uh, Cable was coming. Cable had, uh, had had begun to arrive, 
Um, and in fact, the first drama on HBO was a show called Oz, which was a pretty, really fantastic prison show, which was created by Tom Fontana, who was one of my clients. So I got very engaged in the, uh, in the cable business very quickly. Help us understand then, as you were witnessing and contributing to the evolution of this wonderful industry that we at home get to watch, what were you learning about yourself along the way? Well, I was, I was learning, I was, I was, I was learning kind of what my own taste was. And, and I was a guy who wanted to represent people whose work I liked. I'm, 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 I'm not a, I'm not a fantastic liar. So, <laughs> so it's, but you're a good lawyer. <laughs> I'm a good lawyer and I'm a good agent, but I, I, I would have, I would have difficulty represent. I, I have, I had difficulty and found it extraordinarily hard to represent people whose work I didn't enjoy. Right. So, um, or understand. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, I, so for example, I, 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 I couldn't, it was difficult for me to read a comedy script and decide whether it was funny. Right. So I realized that I was not a guy who was going to end up representing a lot of half hour comedy people. Although right. I did represent people who were actors in half hour comedies. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, I really felt that when I read a, a drama script, um, I knew what it was and where it was going and what the potential of it was. Right. And um, so what I discovered, I forgot what the actual question was, Chuck, I'm sorry, but, but what I discovered about myself was yeah. what I liked. And right. I, and I followed my nose. And um, I also discovered that my, my, uh, that cable was a boon, was a boon to me in the sense that it opened, it opened up the world to a, a less um, conventional uh, um, a less, a less conventional uh, uh, content initiative. And I was all in favor of that. I, I was much more of a, a guy who wanted to watch a show on HBO than who wanted to watch a show on CBS. Right now, this is, you are learning about your own preferences, but I think there's a great career lesson here where you are aligning the projects that you want to work on. You didn't want to fake it. You wanted to work on the ones that spoke to your heart and I suspect that made you a better lawyer because of that, that integrity. I hope, hopefully that's true. And, and I'm not, that's not to say that there weren't great shows on network television because there, there were, and I'm in fact, during the, during this period of time, this pandemic time, I've, one of the things that I've gone back and watched all of is, um, is the West wing, which, um, which was a, a, a still is a, a terrific, terrific show. And, right. and it, it's a show that now, if it was produced now, it would be on cable and, and it would be slightly different, but it would be on cable because Aaron Sorkin, who created the show, just wouldn't do a network television show. But that was the only outlet that was available to him at the time. Right. And as you were evolving in your career, what did the talent count on you for? What did you do for them? They counted on me for sage advice. They counted on me to steer them in the right direction. That, you know, my, my philosophy is, oh, you're not, you don't want people to hop from job to job. You want, you want to have a, a vision, a shared vision with your client about what their, what their career opportunity is, what the, what the, you want to be looking at the long, the long, long term, not the short run. Right. And so, you know, here I am now, decades later, and um, I've still, I, the clients that I'm still involved with um, have been my clients for 20 years. 
you know, they've gotten old, they've gotten older with me. Right. So. Yeah. Yet you, er, you earned or you earned trust early on, but you also, I suspect, had to work hard to keep it. I am working at it every day. Right. Every day. Then for anyone who is contemplating our listeners, many Columbia students, many Wall Streeters, you know, I'm a former Wall Streeter myself. So we have a very wide mix of people that listen in. If any of them would would consider looking for representation, what should they look for? I think they, well, I think they want to find someone with integrity. I think they want to find someone who actually believes in what they're trying and wants to help them accomplish what they're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. um, someone who... Uh, I think candor is really um, is, is hard. It's hard to it's hard to tell a client you don't like something they've done. Right. But um, in the in the long run, it's the only way you can really have a successful relationship with them. You have to be able to tell them when a bad idea is a bad idea. Right. Well, I ask that because we live in a world now where many people are afraid to offend. They don't want to say the wrong thing. Some don't even want to say no. They give you a million maybes. One no is better than a million maybes. Is that is isn't that the way? Is that what you're saying? Well, what I'm saying is is that there's a, there's a sage saying in the agency business that the second best answer is a quick no. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and that's really true. Right. Now you had mentioned early on that University of Michigan, and it's quite an assertion that this is the finest public university in the history of the world. But I do want to I do want to explore something, and this is dating myself and and to all our listeners who are listening in. I graduated from college in 1982 from Syracuse University, and a year later I went to the cinema and I watched a movie called The Big Chill, and I was a fan of of a lot of people in that movie, but Kevin Klein, and I knew Kevin Costner didn't appear in the movie, but I knew he was in it in some form. That Big Chill then Peter became the basis of every single year, many of our friends got together every weekend and we called it the big chill weekend. It's not because we were there at a funeral, we were there for different reasons, but I know that that big chill had something to do with you and some of your friends. Can you describe the movie and why it is I'm even discussing it? Well, it's a great movie. <laughs> Besides that, yes, it is. And we really enjoyed it. And it's a movie that definitely stands the test of time. And when you go back and look at it and you see, you know, Kevin Klein and Bill Hurt and Glenn Close right. and Beth Williams. Tom Berenger. And, and yeah. uh, uh, who I'm leaving out. I'm leaving out people. But anyway. Tom Berenger. I'm Tom Berenger. Um, I, um, I went to, I went to, Larry Kasdan and I met when we were at Michigan. Um, he was a, he was an advertising guy. He, he graduated and got married very quickly. Still married to the same wonderful woman. And, uh, he, uh, went into the advertising business in Detroit, um, which he hated. And, uh, he started, he started writing screenplays and, and then he moved to LA and had, a, was still working in the advertising business, but he was really writing scripts at night. And um, we were social social friends. Um, I my he, I used to go out to my I'm my then wife um, was a was a budding was a budding writer, and um, 
doing a uh, doing a writer's a writer's. She she was a half hour comedy writer, and Larry um, La Larry wrote a spec script that was that was my first. It was his lawyer then that was sold, which was called Continental Divide, which turned into a really good movie that John Belushi was in. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, I became an agent and he followed me, but that was after the big chill thing happened. Um, he and my wife during a, uh, my then wife during a, um, during a writer's strike in 1980, um, both let, you know, not, be, not able to work on their jobs if they wanted to honor the strike, sat in a room together and came up with this idea to do a movie about a group of friends who, uh, who come together again after a period of time has gone by and the funeral was the convention. And uh, and that was the big chill, and right. it, it it became uh, um, you know it it's a metaphor at this point, isn't it? I mean I, I mean I know that when I turned forty, I uh, which is the first time I went back to the University of Michigan when I was forty, I did it, and I we had our big chill weekend in 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 Ann Arbor, and I, right. I was myself and five of my friends, and it was a really meaningful, great weekend, and it also sparked this. Um, rest of my life love affair that I've had with the University of Michigan. Yeah, and I appreciate that. But I mentioned that because so many of the things that you are involved in over time, I don't know if you know the impact that it has on us cinema viewers, that often that metaphor becomes a part of us. And even though we did not have a mechanism to tell you, hey, Peter, thank you very much for creating this thing that became a part of my life. This is my opportunity to thank you. Well, you know, the other, the other movie that was being made at exactly the same time, ironically, because it was, it turned into a kind of genre, the reunion movie, if you will, was the, John Sayles was making a movie called The Return of the Secaucus Seven, yeah. which, um, which was, had, had similar themes. And um, I remember, I don't remember what year it was, but at the time there was a Minneapolis film festival and um, they invited John and Sales and Larry Kasdan to, to be on a panel together to discuss the similarities and the disparities of their two movies. And it was a really engaging, wonderful conversation. And uh, it was great. It was a really one of, one of the great weekends of, uh, that I ever had behind that movie. Yet, and during that time, and you're watching that, you are now gaining ground, you are building momentum, you are building a business. So not only are you spotting talent, but the building the business has its challenge. To the entrepreneur, to, to those who are considering, to your point is, your father's advice is, do, do it on your own. What advice do you give for those who want to start their own business, or at least having trepidation about wanting to start their own business? Well, you know, the, the terrain and, you know, I, I, you, you couldn't, it, it would be ex extraordinarily difficult to start a small agency in Hollywood right now. Although, yeah. you know, a, about 10 years ago, uh, a bunch of guys started a company called Verve, and they have, right. have become relatively successful. So it, yep. it, it's doable. I just don't think it, it's really, really hard. On the other hand, there's a whole other business which has grown up around the agency business, which is called the management business. So many, many people now have lawyers, agents, and managers. And the difference between managers and agents is that managers have many fewer clients, and they're they help they, they 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 produce they produce the content with their clients so if you if you wanted to start a representation slash production business they're not regulated the way we are either so if you wanted to start a a, man, a, a representation business right now the business you'd probably go into would be the management business 
Right. So, so the, it's bring, bring us into Hollywood now. There are clear lines between lawyers, agents, managers. What is the world like now, given the proliferation of all these services, thousands of actors, thousands of screenplays, yet we're in quite an interesting age in television and movies, pre-COVID. How has it changed? Well, even po now post-COVID. Um, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a circus. Um, <laughs> the, the movie, the movie business is, ex, is, ex, well, the theater business is a, is, is a disaster, but I think that, um, I, I believe that movie theaters in some shape or form will come back. I think that the, this, maybe it's my old school view of the world, but I believe that there's something beneficial about a communal experience. And I think that there's something beneficial about watching a movie on a gigantic screen. It's just different than watching it at home, no matter how large your television is. Mm -hmm. uh, watching uh, a, a spectacle movie, um, a Marvel movie, or a, again, I, Star Wars, or uh, an epic, what I'll call an epic film, right. is just a different experience in a movie theater with people than, um, than watching it at home. I also think that that's also ironically true of comedy. I think that a really funny comedy is best enjoyed in a, in a theater with a thousand people who you don't know or 500 people you don't know or 300 people you don't know who are laughing with you. I think that laughter is infectious and it's much harder to be sitting home alone or sitting, sitting at home with your companion, with your wife or your girlfriend or your friends watching a comedy on television and everyone and laughing out loud. I just think it's a whole different experience. Right. So. Although the movie and the movie business has become a big a, a business of the very big and the very small, if you will. So there's there's the tentpole movies, the Mar the Marvel movies, the Godzilla versus King Kong kind of movies, the DC movies, the Superman Batman kind of movies, and then there are the movies that get nominated for the Academy Awards, <laughs> right? The ones we didn't watch. <laughs> no one goes to, but which are you know which are the you know this year it was Nomadland. Every right. year that you know every year there's ten movies like that that gets stitched together. And I, frankly, most of those movies are stitched together by agencies. And um, because financing them is extremely difficult. Finding, it's, it's harder to get a $10 million movie made than it is to get a $300 million movie made. Right. And um, so that's the movie business. It's, it's, a, it's a challenged and uh, challenging business. On the other hand, every day there's a new app. Every day there's a new, there's a new platform. The amount of content that's being created and thrust upon, it's overwhelming. It's, it's, Im it's impossible to keep up with. I mean, I was on a, I was on a Zoom with, uh, we have these uh, departmental meetings on Zoom now. And last week we had, this, over the weekend, we had four shows that we put together that debuted over the weekend, you know, on Netflix, on Apple TV, um, two on Netflix, one on Apple TV, and uh, and one on uh, on Hulu, so um, I mean, there's just an, an alarming. It's impossible to keep up. It's it's, it's that's the the hardest thing to do is to, is to stay abreast, and you can't possibly watch everything. You have to you have to listen to what your colleagues tell you about certain things, and you have to again figure out what it is what it is you want to watch. And I'm, I'm a guy who, if, if he finds a show who he really, that he really likes, wants to watch the whole thing. Right. You stick to, you stick to the whole series. Which is time, which is time consuming, but you know, very kind of rewarding. Indeed. One thing I, I, I want to gravitate to is 
I, I suspect if people ask you what business you're in, is it safe to say you're in the people business? Like forget everything else. You, okay. What have well, been the well, challenges? You know, the other thing I'll tell you is that we're, we're, we're in the technology business. I mean, the, right. agency, Good point. the agency business has, has changed. You know, Mike Ovitz, um, this is now 20 years ago, but Mike Ovitz was a genius. And um, he built an amazing business in Creative Artists Agency, which is one of our competitors and much larger company than us, mm -hmm. but a significant competitor. But what he, what he did for all of us was let us know that we didn't just have to um, represent talent who did movies and television and music, mm -hmm. that when something new came along, that we should poke our noses into it. And so we got into the business of, of, of helping corporations um, with their marketing efforts when it came to content. We got into the, we got into the business of representing uh, digital influencers. I mean, this, this is way past Mike Ovitz's time, but again, right. we opened the door to thinking about things this way. Um, podcasting came along. It's turned out to be an extraordinary lucrative business. Right. Um, so there's, there's nothing, and, and all of these businesses are driven by technology so that the, the, Hollywood is linked at the hip to what's going on in the world of technology and is constantly morphing because of the uh, technological changes that are being thrust upon us by people who know what to do with chips. Right. Well, sometimes my Columbia students often say to me, the engineering, that's easy. It's the people that are hard. When it, when it comes to dealing with people, personalities, moods, temperaments, and even expectations. I would imagine whatever challenges you had along the way during the course of your life, you probably had a few unexpected personal challenges that came with being an agent. Is that fair? Yes, that's fair. Yeah. And, and what were some of your observations or lessons learned about dealing with the confounding nature of human beings? Well, you know, Creative people are very sensitive, right? And and um, and uh, and it, which is sometimes really surprising. I mean, you know, you, because they're also really tough. <laughs> right. A guy who like a guy who runs it. The hardest job in show business is being a showrunner on a on a sixty minute drama. It's a it's a it's a twenty four seven job. Um, and, and it, and it, it involves, you know, supervising, you're starting a small company, which is lasting for, you know, for a year, which, and you're too, you know, too, there's 250 people who are depending on you for their, to make a living. So, so on the one hand, you're tough. Okay. And you're hard boiled and you're, you're a command, you're a commander in chief, if you will. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to evaluating the content that you've managed to create during the, during that process, you're incredibly sensitive. Right. You, you want people to like it. You're hurt by if the reviews are bad. You're 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 hurt if people aren't responding to it the way you want. You're angry if um, if the studio isn't marketing the material in the manner in which you think it should be marketed. You're frustrated. Right. I mean, and these are the those are those are the kinds of problems that we're we're the intermediaries for. So I mean. In a strange way, we're, we're, we're the translators. We, we, we're the people who are, the, we're the intermediaries. The people who finance these things don't always know how to talk to the people who create these things. Some of them are better at it than others. Some of them are better talent managers than others are. Some of them are awful at it. And it, it's our job to somehow bring these, these people with competing, sometimes competing interests 
together and um, and make music instead of uh, catastrophe. <laughs> right. In the time that we have remaining, and Peter, I am so grateful for you coming on to a climb to the top. For those who are considering either being an agent or working in a field where it is unpredictable, it is changing quickly, what recommendations or advice would you give to someone who wants to step into this world that you grew up in? What do you leave them with? Well, I, 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 believe, I believe that um, there's no um, more effective way to learn about the entertainment business than to go into an, an agency training program at one of the big agencies. And it's a, it's a, you start in the mailroom, you're not making any money. We should right. start there. And you're working enormously long hours. Right. Um, uh, although the advent of, uh, of, of the humanistic approach to life that we've, that we've uh, witnessed in the last 12 months is changing that to some degree. But anyway, that's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> Uh, but it's, it's, it's like a postgraduate education in the entertainment business. Right. And so you start in the mailroom, um, you learn sort of the broad strokes of who's who, and then you, you try to become someone's assistant. And when you're someone in an area that's of interest to you, right. once you, when you become someone's assistant, um, again, it's a terribly hard job. Hopefully your boss is not too big a jerk. And, um, uh, but you're, and a lot of scut work involved, but you're also listening, listening into all of his, his or her phone calls. And when you, when you're placing his or her calls, the person who answers the phone on the other end is someone else's assistant. So you're in a constant state of network right. and networking. And the, this, some of those people are going to end up being the presidents of networks and studio and, and studios. Mm -hmm. So, the people who are your peers, um, I mean, I saw this happen in my case, you know, it's when I was a young agent or a younger agent, even though I was managing my own company, but the people that I got to know at that time, some of them became studio heads. Some of them are, some of them are running now, you know, large conglomerates. So, and those relationships really live. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that if, if you want to be in the entertainment business, you're going to, you're going to be some kind of apprentice somewhere right. and they have to be you have to understand that an entry-level job is is sort of like going to graduate school right and, and you're you so you're getting paid instead of paying tuition you're getting paid um but it, as a result of that your life is not your own right well instead of getting a degree you may be meeting or you may know who is going to be the next ceo of paramount or cbs television exactly Indeed. No, that's great. And Peter, thank you. I want to thank you first for coming on to the show. I'm very grateful for the time that you took to, to, to meet us on a climb to the top. Second, I want to thank you for all of the people that you represent. And, and actually, you can go to your website, unitedtalentagency.com. People can go to that. Where can people find you? On there? Uh, see, see I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm on there someplace. Yeah, you are. No, that's I found you there. Place and uh, uh, you know, it, uh, 
I'm, 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 I'm easy to find. Yeah, you're easy to find. I, Indeed, you are. If you can't find me, then you shouldn't come to Hollywood. <laughs> In fact, that, that's the perfect advice if you can't find me. And to let's give a shout out to everyone at the University of Michigan. Thank you for the influence that you had on Peter, the finest public university in the history of the world. I'm down on that. It's a great place. I've enjoyed watching their football games, if nothing else. But Peter, I, I, you have had an incredibly remarkable career. We are grateful for your advice that you're able to give to many of our listeners. And thank you so much for your contribution, not just to a climb to the top, but everything you've done in, in, in this universe. We're, we're appreciative. Thank you, for, thank you for having me and watch the basketball team more than the football team. <laughs>